All right. Will you join me in prayer? Let's go to the Father in prayer. Lord, thank you uh, for this morning. Um, as we anticipate uh, a very special week in the life of the church, um, Father, I, I ask that you would uh, speak to each of us in a way that uh, convinces us of your fatherly care for us. Uh, revive us, re- re- renew us. Um, Father, cause us uh, to have a faith that connects with all kinds of good information this morning. And I thank you for uh, the truth that you are at, at work and active among us and, uh, and, the, and the fruit of your work, the, the, the kinds of things that we can see are good and the changes that are underway are good. And so uh, we anticipate you doing your work among us uh, in, the time as we hear, in this time as we hear your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, uh, we have a kind of a, a thematic or topical message today. Uh, you'll see the scripture there that Scott read, uh, the three passages of scripture, three snapshots of Jesus' life, uh, words that uh, he said, and I want to uh, create and uh, do a thematic kind of look at, at the subject of compassion. We've looked at the cries of the heart over the last four or five weeks, and that is that we've looked at the idea that we've been made to, to cry out. Uh, we are crying out always. We've been made to have a certain way of, of, of living. And uh, we're either seeking something to satisfy us or having been satisfied, we are, we're living out of that. So um, this morning we're looking at a subject called the cry of compassion, the cry of compassion. And really, the sermon in a sentence, if you want to uh, uh, just kind of put it in a capsule, the sermon in a sentence is essentially this, that the embodiment of what we see in Jesus becomes embodied in us. If you're watching and looking and reading about Jesus uh, in the Gospels, uh, his life, his demonstrated life, is actually what becomes alive among his people individually and corporately. And so we're looking today at, at Christ and his compassion and seeking ways where that can connect to our own, our own lives. Actually, the, for me as a kid, um, one of the, I was reflecting, what was the first time I ever saw compassion? What was the first time I ever saw someone um, move towards someone else with compassion? And I'm thinking, thinking, and actually it's a very unique situation that happened when I was uh, in the early 70s, a teenager, and my mother and father and I, unique circumstances, were in London. And my father, we had a couple of days there, and my father had arranged for a private tour guide, a single individual, elderly uh, English gentleman, and uh, he gave us a private tour of England. How about that? So we were hopping in and out of taxis. And one of the great moments of our tour was to see the famous Westminster Cathedral, Westminster Abbey, and who would, who would ever know I'd become a Presbyterian. So, um, so I'm looking at this, at this amazing cathedral, and I'm there with tourists, and uh, there's this walled-off corridor, you know, kind of like at the bank, they have those chains, you know, where you can't go across, you're not supposed to, you know, wall, walling off certain sections. Well, all the pews were, we weren't, we weren't allowed to go out there, you know, so we're walking around the edges of this cathedral, right? And you've probably seen this, right? And, uh, well, there was one lady who was sitting out there in this 
extraordinary cathedral all by herself. And I had never seen this before in my life. Um, someone who was weeping uncontrollably. Um, and I didn't know what to do. And all the folks walking around didn't know what to do. And there was just, there she was. And distanced by these you know, barriers and all by herself out there. And uh, my father uh, stepped over the ropes and he always had a handkerchief with him. And, uh, and, he, and so here he this extraordinary moment in this grand cathedral. And there my father is handing this woman her handkerchief. It's always stayed with me. And uh, he never said anything and we never talked about it. It's this, this marvelous moment of someone breaking through the barrier, literally uh, tr- trespassing where you're not supposed to go in order to extend uh, love uh, to someone in, in, a, in a wordless act of, of compassion. And I, I think that if, if we are close to understanding the gospel, uh, breaking even man-made barriers, uh, perceived barriers, uh, if, we're, if we're at all tracking with the life of Jesus, if we're at, at all understanding the gospel, we will understand that the, the barriers that are, are commonly understood, commonly accepted, the way people just think about other people or think about life, um, we would break through those barriers. And I just want you to, I want you to think about that from, from the get-go as we consider this. Um, I want you to give a, give a disclaimer, first of all, when you, when you hear about the, a sermon on the cry of the compassionate. I know that a number of you have high gospel sensitivity. Uh, that means that you, you're not here to hear exhortations just about what you're supposed to do. You're self-consciously here because you want to hear about the good news. And, and you know that you're not the good news. And so I want to say a disclaimer that you are going to hear about Christ and you're going to hear about the gospel. But I also want to say that if it's really true that you believe and your heart leaps at the news that Jesus is everything, if you're really saying, I get the gospel that this news is greater than I can imagine, let me ask you, what would it be like to be around you? What kind of barriers would you break through? What kind of compassion would you show? If, like last week we talked about Abba Father, that great passage of Galatians 4, that we've been delivered from the law and all its, all its reminders of our inadequacy, we don't measure up, we never ever can. If you have the the very spirit of Christ in you, whispering to you that you're a a blood-bought, adopted daughter and son of God. Does that make a difference? Is that renewing you? Is it producing the very life of Jesus in you? We should should think in those terms. Colossians 3.10 talks about that we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of, after the image of its creator, renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We are being renewed. We are becoming Christ-like. And then, that's Colossians 3.10. 3.12 goes like this. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Uh, Todd's translation Look like Jesus. 
look like Jesus. And we can be a gospel church talking all about Jesus and he does everything and also talk about putting on compassion. So let me define compassion, at least as far as I can, I can put it together here. I would say that compassion is biblically informed or biblically defined engaging care. Biblically driven, it's not just your own ideas. It's not just the current popular idea about what it would look like to be compassionate. Uh, It's biblically informed, engaging care. And then let me keep going. For the need of the moment. For the need of the moment. Notice one of the great passages of, 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 of compassionate care is... The, the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan. Now, there wasn't ever a Good Samaritan until Jesus made one up. The Samaritans were not good, but he, he made one up to shock the crowd about who might possibly be their neighbor, and they might be surprised to find this out. And the Good Samaritan is the one who comes along after everyone had seen uh, the need of the guy who got mugged. The religious professionals had seen his need, and they didn't do anything about it. So in the moment, we see the need and we are called to be compassionate. So here, here's just a couple of ideas. I think compa- three ideas. Compassion includes instruction. Compassion includes protection. And compassion includes pain. Compassion includes pain. So first idea, Mark 6. Again, we're looking at just some snapshots from Jesus' life. Mark 6, 33. And the crowd has just found Jesus. He is becoming uh, very popular perform some miracles. In, in Mark's gospel, the action always happens very quickly. There's a lot of running in Mark's gospel. And uh, in verse 33, and many saw them, the disciples and Jesus, going and recognizing them, and they ran there, they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So, so they're, they're at, at the edge of the sea. And, uh, and when they went ashore, he saw a great crowd He's familiar with the text. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a, a shepherd. And it's interesting. At that point, you'd think, well, maybe he's going to feed them. Uh, maybe he's going to uh, heal them. Maybe what does it mean that they are sheep? Or that they need attention. And it's interesting that Mark's, Mark's gospel continues, and he began to teach them many things. So he observes this great crowd, and they are like sheep um, an animal that has continual need for guidance. I remember one time in Northern California years ago, I'm, I don't know if you've seen sheep. Um, now, not the sheep that show up maybe at the, at the county fair, right? Those are all cleaned up, right? They all look nice. They have little bows on them. Not those sheep. Sheep out in the fields. I remember driving along in Northern California in the middle of nowhere, and I, I think well, ahead of me is a dust storm, some farmer has been plowing a field and there's this dust covering the road. It's this crazy about four feet high. It's way down. So fortunately, I slow down. There's thousands of sheep. And these ranchers on horses are, and of course their dogs are doing this. It's fascinating to watch. And these, there's thousands of sheep. And it took a half hour. They just covered the road. I, just, I guess we're not going anywhere. And, just, and, and, and they kind of had this, they kind of had this dust cloud with them too. And the they were without guidance. They, they needed guidance continually. And the dogs were doing their work and the horses were doing their work. It's fascinating to watch. I know we are somewhat offended to be associated with sheep. Maybe there would be some more intelligent animals in, in, in the world that we could be uh, connected with. But 
Sheep are, are what, we, what we're assigned in the Bible. And Jesus observes they are like sheep without a shepherd. Now, we can only imagine, and I saw this, you've probably seen this, sheep wander off, sheep are they're bleeding and they're, they're, they're crying out, they need help, they're anxious. These people are anxious, they have fears, perhaps there's shouting going on. No doubt, uh, uh, there's probably a sense that they're, they're hopeless, they're, they're panicky around Jesus, panicky. They don't, there's no sense that they have a heavenly father, right? Because, some pretty simple, I think, some honest deductions about what Jesus probably saw. It's interesting is that Jesus now takes time and he instructs them, and we see, of course, his fatherly, he expresses, no doubt, the father's concern for them, right? It has to be on his, on his, uh, on his teaching schedule there. I'm sure that he taught them of the father's concern. Something like Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Neither do they sow or reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them, right? So you're going to be taken care of. Your heavenly Father is, 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 is ready and able to take care of you. So when we think about compassion, when we think about compassion, compassion in the life of the church, compassion in the life of the church through instruction really takes shape in the one another ministry uh, when you are interacting with one another. Not just talking about uh, sports or uh, your favorite restaurant or some of the things that you're, you're enjoying on the island, but you're actually listening to someone and you're, maybe you're hearing a fear that they're saying, something voiced, and, and maybe it's not all that clear, but someone's anxious. And, and we have an opportunity to speak into their life. And it, it comes in the form of instruction how you've learned from Christ, how you've learned maybe to, to express faith in God. We have a ministry of the word. Um, this is sort of the air attack up here. <laughs> and, uh, but there's a ground attack. In other words, there's, there's a, there's, you may not like that imagery, but there, 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 there's, a, there's a, a way in which the word of God is among us where you are informing each other and building each other up. And I, I hope that you are interested and willing to begin to pursue that. Begin to, begin to try out some things. Maybe you've never ever thought about yourself being a, a counselor with the Bible. How, well, I'm not a trained professional. What would that look like? Begin to take it, some simple verses, commit them to memory. Begin to think about how you can speak into someone else's life. People are worried, anxious. Our lives are packed. We're running fast. We have a continual need for, for shepherding and, uh, and for, God, for God's care. And actually, surprisingly, God has already designed the church to take, to take care of, of much of this, of this need. Not just your own private scripture time, but the time you, you interact with the others. Uh, I, at my core, am more sheep-like than I, I want to admit and uh, the elders of the church speak into my life in meaningful ways. Uh, God has given the, the church a, a structure of care through the elders. Interesting, isn't it? God has a shepherding heart for the church even today. First Corinthians, excuse me, First Thessalonians 5. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Interesting. That's how the church 
is to function. So the cry of compassion includes instruction. And secondly, this is such a, such a beautiful passage. It's a, it's a, um, has, has, there's a sadness to it as well. But this next passage, Matthew 23, it's written out there for you in your worship folder. Feel free to turn in your Bible if you have your Bible with you. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jesus is expressing a lament, a lament. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until, I, until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, here's Jesus, as Pastor Nathaniel mentioned, that as he sees Jerusalem, as he enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which we call Palm Sunday, he, he is filled with compassion. This is, this is David's royal city. It's the center of Israel's life. The temple's there. It is a, it is a city of violence. It's, he, Jesus re- recaps for them their history. Not every prophet was killed in Jerusalem, but enough, enough were resisted and enough were killed that Jesus says, look, this, this characterizes you. You're, you're not a city that's hospitable. You're not a city that's civilized. Your resistance to the truth of God leads to violence, isn't it? Violence. And, but what's interesting is that what we find here is that Jesus tells us of his heart. Now, my heart, if I'm around violent people, is to say, you know, can we get the cops here? Can we get the police here? Let's stop this, right? I mean, well, these are people who should be locked up, right? And then there's a lot of... There's laws in our society for that, right? But these were people that God wanted to know, even with their violent hearts, he wanted to know, God God communicated his heart for them. I would have brought to you the protection, the protection that you see in every uh, uh, aisle or every every back um, alleyway, every, every side street, perhaps even main streets in, in Jerusalem, chickens running around. And, and the, the crazy thing about hens, wherever they lay their eggs, we, we actually had a hen lay her eggs in our garage one time. We thought, how cute. And then they became chickens. And we thought, how cute. Then the little, little chicks became ugly chickens who kept coming back to, to the garage and other places in our house. And so it was uh, unpleasant. But he gives this beautiful picture of, you've probably seen it. You can have almost like 10 or 11 little chicks hiding underneath the, the, the wings of a, of a mother hen and hidden from view in order to protect them. Well, we find out that God intends for, for violent people, people who rage inside, angry people, God intends for them to understand his heart. Now, we would normally write them off, right? And, by the way, if you're experiencing physical abuse, call the police. Uh, Don't don't hear from me. Well, just put up with it. But I want to encourage you to to think in terms of, even when you're around someone who exhibiting hard anger, difficult emotions, I want you to think for a moment that that, that that could have been Saul of Tarsus. 
Acts chapter 9, breathing threats against the church. God can handle angry hearts. He handled yours. Did you know that Titus 3.3 speaks of Christians and says this? Spending our life in malice, envy, hateful, and hating one another. Aren't you glad you came to church? That crazy? That, the, we cannot distance ourselves from the city of Jerusalem. We are city dwellers. We understand the, the hostility of the heart. And of course, um, anger is an emotion where, where you don't get what you're, you're deprived of something that you, you, you feel you can't have, right? You can't, can't get to it. Someone isn't giving you something that, 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 uh, they, they, that you want, right? And, and the gospel, essentially, whenever it's preached, it's, a sort of, it's always preached in somewhat of a dangerous situation, no matter how civilized the crowd looks. It's somewhat of dangerous. Now, what's interesting about this is that, or, or empowering about this, is that there's something about our embracing of the gospel understanding our own hearts, how God can change us. We're, we're able to speak even where there might be difficult or, or hard or, or, or angry hearts. Now, uh, one time, I, this is one of those Mexico trips a long time, time back when I was heading up a student ministry in a church. Um, there was a Christian counselor and told about the stories before. His name was Dan Brown and... Uh, Dan was very familiar with, with Tijuana, Mexico, and I went. I'd been to Mexico as a kid growing up many times, and I knew Tijuana was a rough town, still is a rough town. And, uh, well, we're down in Mexico in Tijuana staying at a church. And uh, Dan, he liked to kind of switch the schedule. He had, he had some creativity in the schedule, and he said, you know, this idea has, has really come together, and tonight it's going to happen. So... Uh, I want all the boys to pile in the van with me, and uh, we're going to go. And uh, Dan had arranged uh, with another ministry in Tijuana that ministered to former gang members. Okay. All right, so former gang members. I like that. That's a key word, former gang members. I'll take that. That's good. But uh, tonight is actually a night when they're reaching out to their, their buddies, and uh, we're going to go. It's going to be a great night. It's going to be really cool. So I pack in this, you know, rusting van with uh, bald tires, ready for a flat in some strange part of Tijuana. And I'm there with a couple of, couple of high school boys. And, uh, well, let's see what happens here. And we go down this labyrinth of back alleys. And uh, as I'm going through, I realize, man, if something happens, no one will be ever to, able to find us. We are in the, the world of Tijuana that isn't on the map. And uh, we go to this house, and it is packed with Hispanic gang members. And we can't tell who are the former ones and who are the, <laughs> who are the current ones. And we're in the back, and here we are, these seven or eight gringos. I think we have some visitors here tonight. <laughs> and so, and, uh, and then Dan just turns to some of our high school boys, and, well, this kid can give a testimony. Come on up. 
And uh, there I am watching one of our high school boys, you know, some sophomore or junior high school, in front of men who may have killed other people, give a testimony about how wonderful Jesus is. It was beautiful. These men were actually gentle, thoughtful, listening. Of course, we watched the other guys who were former gang members minister to, to those other men. We see, at some point, the gospel really is a, a dangerous message for people who are like you and I, former violent in heart. And uh, as we counsel with people, we're, we're going to help them understand that God can protect them, that they don't have to defend themselves in such a violent way. You see, as the words they use, you see? We have a message for people that you're not alone as Jesus is looking to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, I would have protected you. But you, you turned in your self-righteousness, believing in your temple, this brick-and-mortar building that 40 years later the Romans would destroy. And he says to them, you see, your house is left desolate. He's talking about the temple. We, we would come to understand that he, Jesus, will be the final temple. And through him, we will have access to the Father. Through him, we will find ultimate protection from the one who could judge us, but through Jesus doesn't. Protection in, light, protection in the church actually comes through an ongoing repentance. You're being protected even now by the exhortations in preaching. Uh, the foolishness that is bound up in the heart of children sort of lags around in the adult in the adult life and you're being protected from that foolishness you're being protected from an exalted heart like Jerusalem had you're being protected from judgment by ongoing repentance and and and, and counseled to find true protection in in who God is if you find yourself panicky if you find yourself sort of impulsively going to your your angry mode think for a moment Think for a moment. Do you have a Savior right now? What has He done for you? Do you have a Heavenly Father? Who's in charge? Why is this so important? What's happening to you? And we've learned these things. Perhaps we learned them growing up in the sort of the nurture we grew up in or the lack of nurture we grew up in, the habits we, we, we sort of formed and thought this was appropriate. Well, this leads then to our third idea, the, the cry of, of compassion that, that includes pain, includes, includes pain. And of course, now we're going to, to an area that we cannot, in, in the time we have, explain it. This is a most special week in the life of the church. Of course, we're going now to Jesus uh, on the cross. Luke's account, 20, verse 23, verse 34 one of the phrases Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Um, Jesus is responding here to evil. The city that he described and where he would have gathered them as a hen would gather her chicks, um, that city now has been given its, its way. They've been given 
what Jesus described as an hour, his own hour, his hour of testing, the will of man and Satan were able to, to do with Jesus what they wanted. Up to that point, they couldn't. But for what Jesus described as an hour, they were allowed to do it. Jesus responding to evil. He looks on the cross uh, probably as unidentifiable, not identifiable as a human being. He's being treated as no human being should ever be treated. Of course, others have been crucified. A, A Roman practice. But it's incredible cruelty. And wherever this story is read, to whatever audience, this story, these words, get, get people's attention. And what I want to convince us of is, and not to at all insert ourselves here in the cry of Jesus, but I want to press the idea is, is the same spirit that cried out, that Christ-like compassion, <clears throat> responding to evil in the cry of forgiveness is that same spirit among us today. Does God intend for us us to have that same spirit? I would contend the answer is yes. And that we are to be, by God's spirit, expressing a Christ-like compassion for others. Now, it was a little bit easier when Jesus was just talking about Jerusalem, right? Oh, you're the, you're the seed that kills the prophets, and I would have gathered you like a hen, right? That's kind of a distant thing. Nothing's really happened to Jesus yet. Well, this is really different now, isn't it? Jerusalem is doing the same thing that is done to previous prophets. So evil is really happening to Jesus at this moment. And what he's doing is he's seeking his neighbor's good. He's fulfilling the the commandment that you shall love your neighbor as yourself in Leviticus 19. It's on display, embodied in, in the love of Christ. Father, if this was me doing this, I would want your forgiveness. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Now, to explore how this happens in us, uh, I can't take you to a science lab and watch this happen in a, in a, in a laboratory We won't be able to see it. How does this transaction happen from our own violent hearts and angry hearts to, to to becoming people of compassion? That is spiritual growth. It's a wonderful biblical spirituality. How it happens, I'm not going to say it's just a mystery. I'm going to recommend a couple of things. I think these are our keys to it. And, and those who have studied renewal in the church, renewal in the church that, that looks like forgiveness to others. In other words, someone maybe has inflicted evil on you, right? Now, it doesn't take much, much spirituality to inflict evil back. You don't have to be a Christian to do that, right? So it's the idea that you can actually take it. It's all right. Take it meaning... The full idea of retribution is not actually on your list of things to do toward them. It's not even there. Yes, you'd want them to apologize. Yes, you'd want them to repent. You want them to change. But the idea of getting your pound of flesh from them is actually not your concern. 
And you're probably not able even to get justice anyway. Really and truly. You might. But I'm going to suggest that what has to happen is that as Paul prayed in Ephesians 1 to the Ephesian elder, uh, Ephesians, he said this. He said that, that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. That you might know, this is what Paul says, that you might know the hope to which he has called you. I think Jesus in that moment is recognizing that the good that can happen, he has a fully enlightened eyes of his heart. No one's ever walked this earth who who could see spiritually with such great perception. And he cries out perfectly what this crowd needs. They need, and this is a a very important distinction, in the New Testament, we don't learn that God is justice. We learn that God is love. And in relationship to people who do evil against him, Jesus is required as a human being to love them not enact his own justice against them. And so it is an expression of the, the nature of God. Father, show them your divine love. Show them what they can't see about you. Withhold your, your just judgment on them. I want what is good for them. When we begin to think like that as Christians... I I want what is good for this person. Your heart has become somewhat illuminated. You see now what it looks like to love someone who is not lovable in their behavior, who's not easy to love in their activity, perhaps even against you. But you're now like your Heavenly Father, Matthew 6, Jesus says, that our Heavenly Father causes the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. And He causes the rain to fall upon the righteous and the unrighteous. And we are called to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect in your patient long-suffering. Judgment Day hasn't arrived, if, in case you haven't noticed And today is evidence that God is willing to suffer a bit longer. And he's calling you and I to embrace the stance of painful suffering. Do you desire for those who hurt you Do you want, are you just raging for justice or are you raging for mercy? What has your experience been with God? Extend that to your enemy. Extend that to your enemy. 
You see, there is real power being demonstrated on the cross. But I would, I would propose to you that what you're actually seeing as Jesus expresses these beautiful words of, of petition, I would suggest that what you're actually seeing is this. You're seeing some, with some clarity the beauty of God's person. What God is able to do. And those who study renewal in the church know that it doesn't happen by willpower. It doesn't happen just because perhaps we're trying to avoid a life we just don't like. It doesn't happen because we need something, we have something we want from God. It happens when we are gazing upon the beauty of God. And we want that to be more fully experienced in our lives. Renewal is beholding something about God. And we're seeing put on display God's great compassion for sinners. And what it does, it it enlivens our heart to do something that we didn't think was possible. To be effective toward evil to move into the darkness we thought it wasn't possible instead of just cowering and being afraid we actually see this spirit among those in the book of Acts who move toward a dark world and threatening situations and enter into evil situations now it is not is not easy not easy what does it look like when a person really encounters the mercy of God when they are really knowing they are forgiven and living in that truth, they stop killing innocent people. They stop wanting to kill. They stop wanting what they think should, should happen. And now they're caught up in a much larger world beyond their own myopic understanding of things. You mean if God can change a Saul of Tarsus who was violent, if God can actually change that kind of heart, what might he do as I share with this person? What might be possible? See, It's a hopeful stance of the heart. What's quite remarkable about world history is this, and then I'm done. World history, since those two brothers, Cain and Abel, remember how well they got along? Those two brothers, and, and Abel offers up a, an animal, understanding how his parents most likely trained him. This is what would be required now that we're sinners. And Cain offers up his wheat or barley or carrots, and throws it on the altar. A lot of work on my part. Don't tell me it's worth nothing. And Abel is killed because. Cain is, is jealous that Abel was received, his offering was received. He understood somehow, Cain did, that his brother was, was blessed by giving what God had required. It's interesting is that, that really the history of man, there's been moments of civilization. There's been moments. But it's really interesting. That they're just sort of glimmers 
They remind us of what's possible, perhaps. But we really are, look at the world history, whatever part of the globe you want to study, we're violent. We're more like Cain. We take offense. We don't extend forgiveness. Peter was sort of catching on about his own limits. I mean, you know, he one time asked, how, how many times should I forgive my brother? I mean, sort of painful, you know. I'll do it seven times. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty gracious. And he learns from Jesus, no, 70 times seven. Work on that and you'll be really making some progress, Peter. You see, Peter, Peter thought there must be some limit to the grace you, you give other people, right? And Peter would be eventually introduced to the blood that would be a constant source of forgiveness. It's not the blood of Abel, which was the blood of vengeance. This was an unlimited source of forgiveness and grace and mercy. And when you gaze at the cross... And when you believe in Jesus, you've entered into access of an unlimited source, the blood of Jesus, that is, a, is effectual to you even right now. And what happens is, as that blood is applied to you, it becomes a power in you to move toward others with compassion to see that others might be forgiven. And you see, what happens, and one last idea here is that what happens is we exchange our identity. When you fill in the sentence, um, I want to be seen, be seen, right? Cain, no doubt, wanted to be seen as one who does enough work or effort for God. It's enough. He wanted to be seen. Now you think about what you want to be seen by other people. And you realize how much of a tight fist you had in that regard. And you look at the violence that men have toward one another and start thinking in terms of people who want to be seen in a certain way. I will not be seen as someone who has to put up with this. And it looks like, you know, it can be racism, it can be status in life. We have many, many ways we fill in our, I want to be seen a certain way. But interesting is that God goes right after that. I want you to see who you are. And I want you to see what I can make you. What you are by nature. You're a violent, a covenant breaker. No status that attracts me to you, but I will come to you and bring to you a new identity by which you can live and now you can love. And of course, this all happens, this transaction happens through the cross. 
Hebrews 12 tells us that we are a gathered church and we have come to the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 12, 24. Christian, you have come to the blood of Jesus. And in coming to Jesus, you have been given a cry. It's a cry in your heart. The Spirit produces this. It's developed by sheer grace. And it's the cry of the better blood. And Hebrews 12 tells us this. You've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Blessed, Jesus said in the Beatitudes, are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. That is our new identity. We are crying out as sons. Peacemakers like our Heavenly Father. May this compassion more and more characterize us as a church. Let's pray.